0: Good evening welcome to another edition of Warrior Connection. We're going to continue our education and training mode, trying to get information out, people to think about what they need to do, what they've been in before. And most warriors have been in a situation where they find out they run a, a firefight, the easiest way to put it, I don't want the other way to put it. But what happens in the civilian world? What do we need to look for in the civilian world? today the civilian world has changed a lot we've got all kinds of nutcases out there they're providing a threat to us it doesn't matter whether we're at a grocery store or we're going to mcdonald's or your shopping mall it happened in your church It can happen on the street let's talk about critical threat on threat training and what happens with the active shooter we got an expert that's joined us john bach john is the executive director of gun save life he's a recognized world-class instructor in firearms training And threat instruction, I mean, everything under the sun. I've been to his classes. He's incredible. He teaches with a lot of individuals with incredible experiences. His teaching team includes FBI agents, deputy sheriffs, regular police, corrections personnel. So I mean, incredible, incredible group of teachers and instructors. John, welcome again to Warrior Connection, sir.
1: Thanks for having me, sir. I do appreciate it.
0: Well, talk, let's talk a little bit about what is happening. The world has changed. I mean, you never know when things are going to go sour. There's a whole bunch of nutcases out there that don't hesitate to uh, confront anybody. They won't hesitate to use violence. We're seeing violence all over the place, from our schools to our churches to your backyard to your swimming pool. I mean, right here where we live in East Central Illinois, I mean, we have individual. I mean, obviously, it was a bad guy riding down a bicycle in the street in the middle of the day. And... The other bad guys came down and just picked them right off, dead or in a doornail. But this all puts all of us into a threat, doesn't it, sir? Well, there's there's things out there. Bad things happen
1: to good people, and uh, it doesn't matter if you're like that uh, University of Illinois student who was uh, lured into a car, kidnapped, and presumably killed by a an individual uh, that was a graduate student at the University of Illinois. Uh, you know, you never expect uh, a graduate student uh, at a world-class university to be uh, trying to kidnap people and uh, arguably probably killing them. Uh, So you just never know. Uh, That's kind of the first step is to uh, acknowledge that uh, uh, there are threats out there that exist. There are bad people out there with evil in their hearts and uh, denying their existence or denying the existence of bad people and bad uh, things that happen out there generally has no survival value, and that's what we're all talking about today is trying to increase everybody's survival uh, a quotient, if you will, so that they uh, can avoid uh, violence and uh, come home safely every night.
0: Well, there's a bunch of things and warning signs and flags, warning flags, things, incidents, the way things are going that can put your warning up. For example, we just had a, one of the bad guys came and shot up a congressional baseball game and as we were reviewing it, and you you and I talked about it briefly, the bad guy had came there and asked all kinds of questions to find out who was there and everything, and everybody's radar should have gone up right, right away going, wait a minute, something's not right here.
1: Well, most people, most people uh, have a normalcy bias, and they don't uh, believe things are out of whack even when their intuition is telling them otherwise. Uh, you know, frankly, uh, your intuition is one of those things that more people should pay attention to because, uh, well, first of all, it always has your best interest at heart. And secondly, it's almost always correct. Uh, and the intuition works because your your subconscious processes all of the inputs from your different uh, senses and it recognizes potential threats to your well-being and it sends a signal to uh, the thinking part of your brain, a nagging signal saying, hey, something's not right here. Uh, get yourself out of here or pay attention to this potential threat, but most people just dismiss that uh, hair standing up on the back of their neck or that feeling in their gut. They just dismiss it as, oh, it's probably nothing, uh, nothing to worry about, everything's fine here. And unfortunately, people, when they do that, they're putting themselves at a heightened risk of danger. And just as happened at the uh, ballpark in Alexandria, Virginia, with the... uh, wackadoo from here in Illinois that went out there to kill a bunch of people to commit mass political assassination. Uh, people people just don't think that that kind of thing is possible, and they just brush it out of the back of their mind thinking, oh, there's no way this guy's going to do something stupid like that. And sure enough, what happens? Uh, it turns out to be
0: uh, something that people should have paid attention to all along. It seems like it's there. So, I mean, again, when we're looking at it, a handful of us have been in the military, a handful of us have been in situations where we've had to take lives and we've saved lives all the way around. A handful has been in a situation where we've had too many of our friends die in our arms. And that, that horrible reality of when it hits you is something that there's, there's no way to get around. But it seems like the key to all of this stuff, and I think, Ray, you can chime in anytime you want to and join us, training and education and practice is the key to survival, isn't it? It, well, is. it is, and it's, uh, um, your, Yeah, your man
1: card does not uh, provide you everything that you need for your entirety of life in terms of being safe and being able to defend yourself. Uh, and, Ray, go ahead. You were starting to say something there.
2: I, well, I apologize to you. I, I didn't know. I, I lost my step there. But, um, John, what I wanted to say was uh, what you were just talking about is like, to me, it's the uh, Disney World mentality that we have in America um, you know, I talk with Doug and I talk much about, <clears throat> about war and grow up into um, what is considered a Disney World, which is America, we have everything here and life is supposed to be a ball of cherries and the whole thing and, and so you go into a third world country where they do fight and kill each other. Um, it's like a totally different world and you get more serious about life and death. And then when you come back here it's like black and white again. So I know what we did, and I'm sure what you do, because your mind is set on defense, uh, you look at a, You look at the average person, you think you have no clue what you're walking into. And so I think we have to learn a lot of military, um, you know, parts of the military structure so we can become more hypervigilant or understand things or maybe uh, profile things before they ever happen. And I think it would be safer that way. Do you agree with that?
1: I think you're you're right, Ray. To some degree, I don't think the it requires hyper vigilance, though. Just uh, just being vigilant of what's around you goes a long, long way. You know, where are the exits? Who's around you? Who's a potential threat? Is anybody acting strangely? You know, we can talk a, a little bit about that kind of stuff. But there's a whole lot of things that you can do without being uh, paranoid or you know looking over your shoulder thinking somebody's out to get you just uh just a quick survey of who's around you at any given time can can identify people who are outside of the as we call it the baseline of normalcy for that given location you know if you're at a library and you glance around and everybody's calm cool and collected and speaking softly that's a good sign but if somebody's being uh, uh, boisterous or obnoxious or angry or agitated, that's somebody that bears additional scrutiny. That's somebody that's a potential threat, and that's where you should create distance between yourself and that potential threat, perhaps obstacles as well. Another thing to to be good to do might be just to leave that location. If you're having dinner at Denny's and uh, a bunch of people start uh, having an argument over some woman's virtue or or somebody's uh... color of their clothes or whatever and they start throwing plates and shares and salt shakers at one another that's a good time to find the fire exit or the nearest exit and get the heck out and uh... not to get out your uh, cell phone and start taking a video for youtube Because what's likely to happen or what's possible to happen is that these uh, aggrieved parties, somebody's going to pull out a gun and start shooting, and you don't want you or your family to be the backstop for those errant rounds that miss their intended target.
0: Well, it seems like a key thing is just awareness of your surroundings. I mean, no matter where we live, we have areas that are what we consider completely and totally safe until something goes wrong. But then there's other areas in our community where you just know you just don't go in there. You know the situations are bad there. The situations have got out of control there in the past. I mean, there's clear indications that these areas are not things where you want to go running into if you can't avoid it. And so all this stuff comes down to total, complete social and cultural awareness, doesn't it?
1: It does. And as you say, the people aren't... uh aren't in the mode of thinking defensively. They think that they're in this bubble of safety and nothing ever happens until the guy comes out of the blue and uh, accosts them in some way or another. And that's just uh, them saying in so many words that they weren't situationally aware of who was around them and who was acting suspiciously. And you're right, you don't go into certain, certain places unless you have a darn good reason to be there. I mean, just because you've got a gun on your hip doesn't mean you go sightseeing in East St. Louis or uh, the bad parts of Detroit, and so you use a lot of common sense. Don't go to stupid places with stupid people at stupid times, and you'll generally avoid stupid, uh, stupid things happening to you. But uh, sometimes the stupid finds you, and in those cases, you have to be aware of. Uh, Uh, trouble brewing on the horizon. It's like you don't go out and fly a a kite in a a thunderstorm with a tornado bearing down on you. You look around, you see the clouds in the sky, and you go take shelter uh, appropriately. And the same thing kind of applies for being aware of who's around you and what's going on. That baseline of normalcy is a, a huge thing that you can do when you're just kind of scanning who's around you anything that's inappropriate or out of the ordinary bears further scrutiny. If it's a guy wearing a, a trench coat walking into the mall on a 95-degree day in, in the southern parts of the country or even places like here in Illinois, you know, that's a clue that something, something's amiss, something's wrong. That person bears further scrutiny, or better yet, it's a good time to get the heck out of Dodge. And another alternative is if you're at a political rally and everybody's excited, but somebody's off to the side uh, looking angry or perturbed or or, uh, very quietly brooding uh, back there in the corner by themselves – you know, that's an indicator that, hey, that person is somebody that bears further scrutiny or everybody else is excited and this individual is uh, um, being uh, withdrawn and all that. You know, this person is somebody that may be a potential assassin in the works. They may be a potential bomber. You just never know, but that's somebody that you need to pay attention to. And this whole thing, you just kind of watch who's around you. What they're doing and you will watch for that baseline of normalcy, and anything outside of it bears further scrutiny.
0: You know, it seems like the whole key thing is don't get into a situation where the possibility of the problems exist and then if something starts doing get the heck out of Dodge. Because no matter how much training we have, and Ray and I have an incredible amount from the military, I mean John, you've been teaching this and we need to get into your actual courses you do teach on critical, you know, incident type stuff what that's involved in there but no matter how much you have uh, that situation get out of control so rapidly that you're not ready to respond and your response is going to be minimal at best well it
1: it can vary wildly but uh, i do know one thing Uh, you'll win every gunfight that you don't show up at and uh, it doesn't matter how much training you've got there's always somebody out there that's better. And I might add, there's always a component that luck plays in the uh, grand scheme of things. It doesn't matter if you're a world-class Navy SEAL, if somebody gets to drop on you or gets a lucky shot off, you're just as hurt or dead as you were if uh, you were some incompetent boob that was uh, fumbling and bumbling his way through life. And uh, was in that same circumstance and got uh, got ambushed by the bad guys. So you'll win every confrontation. You'll win every gunfight that you don't show up at, simply because if you're not there, you can't get hurt. And again, that's the goal here: is for everybody to get home safe and to be with their families and to live a long and happy and prosperous life.
2: Well, you John, you got we a have uh, uh,
0: been very okay. Go ahead, Ray.
2: Oh, no i 'm sorry, but uh our church is going through a thing now on uh security, and uh, we have a sheriff department coming in and doing kind of an analysis on the church showing us weak areas and what to do with the money when they take up offerings and and how to do same, safely and One of the things they made sure everybody understood was because some churches are they think the more people have weapons in the congregation, the safer they are, but that 's not necessarily the truth if they 're not trained. And uh, they were saying, if we come into that situation and, and you've got a gun in your hand, you will, you'll probably get shot. So put the gun down when they come in that place and make sure they know who you are. And then if you pull the trigger in that place, you own that bullet. And some people don't realize that um, because <clears throat> when that bullet happens to strike the wrong person, you're responsible for that too. So um, maybe you can elaborate on that.
1: I I concur wholeheartedly. Uh, Just because you've got more guns in the congregation doesn't necessarily make it safer. Um, One of the big things that uh, we talk about now is the threat from fellow concealed carry license holders if you're involved in a deadly shooting. Uh, the gun needs to go away as quickly as you can. You've got to make sure that you're not muzzling uh, other innocents because uh, if there's another concealed carry holder there and they see somebody with a gun, they may get real excited and pull out their own and think that they're saving the day by shooting you when, in fact, you're the you're the good guy there. And uh, they uh, just weren't aware of the entire context of what happens. Uh, not everybody is well-trained on uh target discrimination uh as uh, police officers or other highly trained individuals and uh you may find yourself on the wrong end of a uh, concealed carry holder's gun even though you're a good guy trying to do the right thing and save innocent life you may have some uh, some yahoo come along and uh put a round in your back or uh uh take a couple shots at you and you're uh, merely trying to keep things under control and make sure there aren't any other threats in the immediate area
0: Well, we just had a black police officer that was off-duty, intervened in a situation where he responded, and one of his buddies that didn't know he was there, I mean, he didn't know him personally, ended up shooting the police officer. I mean, it was one of those things where it all went bad, and then it went real bad, because exactly as you said, the good guys showed up, here comes the posse, and here the guy's got a gun, not realizing he was a cop.
1: And that's why it's critically important to make sure your uh, target is a uh, indeed a bad guy before you pull a trigger. Uh, you know that, I know that, Ray knows that, but the problem is... Um, there are some places in the United States where there is zero training required for a concealed carry license, which I don't think there should be necessarily any training required to exercise your Second Amendment rights, but I think training is a great thing. But even in states like Illinois that has arguably the most strenuous training requirement to get a concealed carry license, not all training is created equal. We've got uh, uh, something like 3,300 instructors in the state of Illinois right now, up from 42 who taught 10 or more people uh, Uh, back before we got concealed carry, and a lot of these people uh, do not put on a good product for their students, and uh, they've never been to a concealed carry lecture in their life, much less a a real course, and all of a sudden, they're tasked with being responsible for training uh, average Illinois residents on on the law of using deadly force, and some of these people are not, uh, as I say, delivering a good product just because you're Arguably, the best train doesn't necessarily mean that training's uh, worth uh, the price you paid for it. Um, that's just sadly the, the state that we're in right now.
0: Well, when you look at the training, you got, I mean, because I've been through portions of this with you, and it's incredibly good, you've got the classroom portion, and then you've got what we'll call the dry lab portion, and then we get on the range or the wet lab portion. So these are all the things. But one of the things to talk about, you've got a full course that you're teaching right now on this, and I've been teaching it for a while, called Critical Threat Management. Can you describe this course and what is involved and what a person would learn and why it's important, sir? Well, Critical Threat
1: Management is a course that we put together about three or four years ago. Uh, We looked at what the law enforcement was doing for training their uh, officers and, frankly, force-on-force training is where advanced training is at today. It is incredible the learning that goes on at that because there's a uh, uh, an adrenaline compo- component of the course and a pain uh, pain penalty po- component of the course where if you screw up, you get hit with these uh, uh, projectiles fired by the uh, the other participants in the scenarios. And those hurt when you get hit. You get welts. You may bleed a little bit from the uh, the impacts of the pellets. Uh, and there's a, some pain going on. And it's just like uh, when you're growing up. How many times do you need to touch a hot stove before you figure out, hey, that's really painful to do that. I shouldn't do that anymore. You don't get that on a square range when you're sitting there shooting paper. Uh, You've got to do things thousands of times on a square range uh, before you pick things up and they become intuitive. With force-on-force training, the intuitive learning comes very, very quickly. It's an extremely quick learning curve, and there's a lot of motivation to pay attention and to do things right in force-on-force, and it inoculates the participants and the stresses involved in a real-life encounter uh, as much as we possibly can in a safe manner, and that's what critical threat management is all about. We... uh, uh, start the students off uh, on, uh, it's a weekend class, we start them off on Saturday morning with their uh, baseline skills, and we throw them into some, some scenarios and see how they do. See if they're paying attention to who's around them, what's around them, and what's going on, and we have our role players, we train our role players to exhibit some pre-violence indicators or some uh, pre-attack indicators. Uh, And most of the time, the students, when they roll into this uh, class, they have no idea about these things. They completely miss these pre-violence and pre-incident indicators, and they just go about their merry way getting shot up pretty good, and, uh, you know, that hurts. And uh, then we teach them about uh, the things in terms of pre-violence indicators, pre-attack indicators, (laughs) behaviors to look for, and they go, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that this morning in such and such a scenario. And we teach them about uh, de-escalation, avoidance. We teach them about uh, the OODA loop and how to interrupt that with bad guys. Uh, You don't have to pull out your gun and shoot every bad guy that comes along. You know, the better way, the better solution, because, of course, using deadly force is uh, fraught with uh, dangers to you. And it's also uh, the aftermath is very ugly in terms of the risks to your Uh, personal life and your family's life, uh, is to just avoid the deadly confrontation altogether. Again, you win every gunfight that you don't uh, show up at and if you can interrupt the bad guy's uh, approach by recognizing some uh, pre violence indicators, you know what's coming and you can take yourself out of that loop and it's kind of like stepping off the train tracks when you see a train coming. You don't stand on the tracks and wait for the train to hit you. You step off the tracks and get out of the way and let it go on by and by identifying these behaviors of bad guys that they you know, give, a, give off uh, even unconsciously, you can avoid trouble, and uh, we teach those things uh, over the course of Saturday afternoon. And then on Sunday, we have a live fire component to teach them some uh, some skills that we've uh, shared with the students, you know, how to escort loved ones away from a, a dangerous situation, how to shoot one-handed, how to shoot... Uh, with your support hand, how to do a number of things. So we teach them about the tooler drill and the importance of getting off of the X and uh, reactionary gaps and all that kind of stuff. And then on Sunday afternoon, we put them in scenarios that are very similar to what they uh, did on Saturday, and we find that after a couple days of training, all of a sudden these people are a lot less inclined to reach for their gun. They're a lot less inclined to stick around for for potentially ugly situations, they take themselves out of the situation, which is what we want, and uh, without sticking around for things to go completely south. In the times that they do draw, you know, they do a better job of uh, controlling the situation and uh, exhibiting a command presence and keeping the loved ones, the good people, safe and uh um, it's necessary, shooting appropriately for the bad guys uh, at the appropriate distances, and uh, we do a lot. We also um, have a component there about hand-to-hand, because you can't walk around with your gun out all the time, and bad guys sometimes uh, in closed spaces get close to you. You need to know what to do. You can't always draw the gun to solve every problem, and uh, frankly, most of the American pub- public isn't carrying a gun on a given day, so we teach a, a segment on Krav Maga. We have a Pro instructor that was uh, trained and certified in Israel, uh, and he is magnificent. Uh, he teaches uh, everyone uh, the empty-handed uh, tactics and techniques, uh, striking, uh, blocking, and so forth, kicking, uh, and uh, how to get out of a choke, how to get out of a grab, how to do weapon retention, uh, how to do uh, takeaways. Uh, just a lot of learning there on a whole host of uh, different fronts, and it's all about layering everyone's defenses so that they're safer in their everyday living and uh, it's a full two days, it's a good time, and it's available to civilians, which is kind of rare in the force-on-force world. It's primarily until the last couple of years it's been a mostly military and police uh, uh, aspect of training, and we're bringing this and offering it to civilians, which is huge uh, for the civilian market in training. It is truly the, the best training out there and the most advanced because there's a lot of learning that takes place in a short period of time
0: you know one thing's in the military and everybody's got this idea and I know Ray and I spent so much time in the military and we continue to be involved everybody's got this idea if you want in the military you got an incredible firearms training you want in the military you got all this self defense training Ray <laughs> you want to address no. a little about the reality of that please no, I think we had a, a little bit of Paris Island,
2: I think it was. And uh, my, my personal thing was when I went to war was I kept one bullet for me just in case um, because everything I did usually had to do with bullets. And uh, we lived in an area that was a free fire zone, and that's where we lived all the time. It was up on the DMZ border. And when you saw your enemy, you shot him. There was no questions. There was no embedded reporters there. There was nothing. And so it was a very vicious world. But most worlds are not like that. You have certain rules and regulations and things you have to go by. And I think some people get the, the strange idea that they're able, like like John was talking about, that if you've got a weapon, you've got a freedom to use it. And and they talk about many times about they're going to blow somebody's head off and all this stuff. <clears throat> There's a lot of things that, that are tied to that. <clears throat> Doug and I work on something, John, about um, it's the after effects of trauma and it's called life after trauma and then moral injury. And all those things take place, with, even when good guys do things to stop a bad guy, there are ramifications. So if you can find any other way to, to handle that situation, I would probably choose that rather than using a pistol to really hurt somebody or, or kill them because it, it's such a devastating thing. So um, I guess we've learned from experiences. I've, I've studied martial arts for 25 years, and um I've reached, a long time ago, I reached the rank of master, but my wife refused to call me master. And so, therefore, um, I feel like, (laughs) what's the point of it? Um, But I've learned a lot. Yes, indeed. uh, We talk about... Go ahead. uh,
1: Go ahead. No, we talk about uh, the aftermath of using deadly force uh, extensively in our concealed carry classes as well as all the uh, classes for that matter. I mean there's a lot of downside to using deadly force and in fact for the most part the only good thing that happens following the use of deadly force to defend yourself is that most of the time you live another day. Uh, pretty much everything else aside from that is bad. Uh, there's financial uh, concerns, there's uh, stress uh, concerns to your life, there's legal uh, liability and concerns. Uh, you may get arrested. Uh, you know, there's substance abuse for dealing with the fallout. There's the Mark Kane for dealing with or how other people treat you after you've killed somebody. Or, or even if you didn't kill the individual, uh, just uh, uh, look at uh, the Trayvon Martin case, uh, George Zimmerman. Uh, you know, that was, in my opinion, a very justified use of deadly force. And look what happened to George Zimmerman. His life uh, just turned completely upside down. He lost his job. He lost his uh, uh, house, He got uh, kicked out of college. Uh, he got uh, divorced. Uh, a whole lot of people would like to see him dead, all because he used deadly force to save his life that fateful night uh, in a justifiable manner. And there was nothing good that happened out of that whatsoever other than he lived to live another day, and uh, Trayvon Martin didn't. So, you know, if you need to, uh, if anybody needs to have that cavalier attitude about using uh, deadly force to solve every problem that comes along, well, just take a look at the Trayvon Martin case and ask yourself, do you want to be George Zimmerman? Do you want to be in his shoes? Uh, And uh, if you don't like George Zimmerman, the flavor of that case, look at Darren Wilson in St. Louis. Um, you know, here's a police officer that uses deadly force, and he's basically unemployable at this point in time, Uh, even though his use of deadly force was perfectly justified. uh, He's unemployable. There's a whole lot of people who like to see him dead. And, uh, you know, I feel sorry for the guy. It's it's a big mess, and uh, it's all a result of uh, using force uh, justifiably, and his life is still a mess, even though it was uh, righteous in nature.
0: Ray, you've been a police chaplain for many years, and dealing with the military for years. The police officer has kind of in a no man's zone, isn't he? Yeah, he's, uh,
2: matter of fact, the the man that I've studied under martial arts for 24 years is also uh, now he just retired from a, a police lieutenant job. <clears throat> so he's been in uh, police work for 28 years, and so we kind of studied together along with that, and uh, his his philosophy. Uh, he had a guy one time that uh, really, you know, said he wanted to take care of him, wanted to do him in and all the stuff. And he said, I'm going to catch you off duty one day and I'm going to destroy you. And my my uh, sensei, my friend, he said, uh, you know, you need to catch me when I'm on duty. You need to come after me then because when I'm on duty, I have rules and regulations I have to live by. When I'm off duty, I have nothing. And uh, we we think about it in that manner that – these law enforcement officers, they've got cameras to protect their own cells because everybody else has a camera. And you can take a picture, and, and by the words you use, you can screw that to where the point is that officer ends up looking like the bad guy. And so they are living like in a fishbowl, and it really hinders their police work many times. You know, sometimes they don't want to get involved because they know it could be a case like John talked about they could lose everything they have. And so it's really put them, and I think they're depending more on the civilian world now to help them out. And and I think what John is saying is um, is wonderful because it's, it's, it's not giving people a license to just shoot it, you know, have a shootout, but it's telling them to be more aware of their situations, call law enforcement, support them, help them, because they're the ones, if they take care of the situation, it'll be taken care of. But when I pulled that trigger, my life just ended in so many ways. And um, I appreciate what he's telling us today, uh, Doug.
0: I think one of the other things, too, and, John, you and I have talked about this. we got security theater that's happening today. And all of us have been involved in training at one level, another military, law enforcement, police, civilians. And we're seeing today a lot of the police come out of the military, and they thought they had it all. They had all the answers. They were involved in some horrible situations. But now they've got all this equipment hanging all over them. Well, Ray, I mean, you could explain this better than anybody because you were on the ridge. When you've got all this equipment hanging on you and you haven't got the skills that comes down to it, all you need is a pair of boots, you need a pair of pants, (laughs) you need some glasses, make sure you can see a hat to keep the sun out of your eyes and a gun or a knife that works. I mean, all this other junk doesn't do you a whole lot of good, does it? No, we look at their tactics
2: today, and a lot of their tactics, like stacking and all, is, is, you know, they're doing a great job and everything. But in combat, uh, you don't do that because you have to be able, you're looking for an enemy to kill him. and the situation they're in, when you're trying to apply military tactics to a civilian world, they really don't fit each other because you're not trying to kill the guy, you're trying to apprehend the guy. And a bad guy can take out a bunch of cops if
1: they
2: they have the wrong policies or something. So maybe you can allude on that too, um, John, about... The difference between the military tactics and the civilian world—they uh, they practice stacking. Do you uh, teach that or something when you're dealing? In your- <laughs> oh, yes.
1: oh, not only no, but hell no. Um, you, raised, uh, you touched upon a very good point, uh, Ray. You're talking about in the military, you know, you're trained to eliminate the enemy, and uh, in the police world. Uh, it's very different because you 're trained to apprehend the enemy in the civilian world we 're teaching people to avoid the enemy um, you know put distance between yourself uh, and a potential bad guy your Your job isn 't to kill the bad guy. your job is not to apprehend the bad guy. Your job is not to be the referee in a dispute between a man and a woman over a cheeseburger or whatever. Your job is to avoid trouble like the plague and again uh, avoidance is the key factor there. By staying out of a confrontation or avoiding a confrontation, you win that. You don't get hurt. You go home to your family. Or you can be like the guy in uh, you know, Florida just uh, on July 4th who was walking up to a Walgreens. He uh, pulled into the parking lot. There was some sort of an altercation in the parking lot. Um, this big guy, 68 years old, walks up to the front door to the guy who was uh, kind of yelling yelling at him and flipping him the uh, a single-digit salute out in the parking lot, and next thing you know, he uh, takes two uh, roundhouse punches to the head, collapses to the ground, and he's been in a medically induced coma since then uh, to control the swelling and the brain damage uh, from that incident. If he had simply driven on to the next Walgreen down the road, he would be here today with his family, with his grandchildren, enjoying life, but no, he ignored all the signals, All of the warning signs, he ignored it all, walked up to this guy and got slugged twice. Uh, And, you know, your job as a civilian is not, again, to kill the enemy, not to uh, clean up the streets and help the police officers. You're not junior crime stopper with a badge. Your, uh, Your job is to go home to your family and to your loved ones and to avoid stupid people in stupid places doing stupid things, and that includes criminals. And while police have an obligation to apprehend criminals, uh, you as a civilian have no such obligation. In fact, you're uh, better off to avoid criminals uh, unless they're slaughtering innocent lives. And uh, even then, you have to weigh the pros and cons of getting involved. Uh, you can get involved and stop the guy who's slaughtering people in a mass public uh, spree killing, uh, or you can run away and go home and be safe. Uh, I teach in the, my classes. Uh, I believe personally that you have a moral and ethical res- uh, responsibility to act to save innocent life, especially in conditions where uh, somebody's in the middle of a spree killing. Uh, Thankfully, that doesn't happen to most of us most of the time, but uh, if it does happen, I think you've got a responsibility to act because if you fail to act, you've got to live with yourself for the rest of your life. However, in most situations where it's just a dispute or it's a common criminal doing common criminal things, your best policy is to avoidance or walk away or take yourself out of the situation. Going back to the IHOP restaurant or the Denny's restaurant, if you encounter a big fight there, go out the fire door or go out the nearest exit where it's safe. Uh, If that means going through the kitchen and going out the back of the restaurant, so be it. But take yourself out of the situation, go home to your family, kiss your grandchildren or your children and be glad and happy you didn't have to use deadly force, and at the same time you didn't get injured, and they didn't get injured because you took them with you uh, out of that dangerous situation. So it's a whole different thing. And You may have military people out there who are doing civilian training, but you know their military experience has precious little to do with what uh, somebody carrying a concealed carry license or just a civilian wanting to stay safe needs to know. And the same way with cops. Uh, cops... Frankly, their job and their training is not at all what civilians need, generally speaking, to keep themselves safe. It's a whole different world for civilians. And uh, so that's why I'm a big fan, or I tell people, just because somebody's former military or former police does not necessarily make them a superior instructor to a, a farmer, or a teacher, or a civilian expert, uh, not by a long shot. I live in talk North
0: to, Carolina. Talk about and signs what saying, everything. A, I mean, when we had last need. meeting at the camp, ran two lights at Columbus, you, that's what triggered this thing I'm asking you back yet. You went through a whole bunch of warning signs, things that people should be aware of, what they can do. Can you discuss those a little bit, please?
1: Um, sure. Uh, bad guys often exhibit some uh, pre-violence indicators, and they, they typically are, we kind of group them by range, you know. Um, initially, uh, at a distance, you can observe some of these behaviors, Uh, you know, milling around or loitering uh, without a sense of purpose in a public location, you know, that's a huge warning sign that somebody's up to no good. Uh, Anybody who pays attention to you from a distance or follows you or flanks you, uh, you know, those are all things to to watch about from a distance. And most of the time, the the bad guys are going to look to close distance to you to uh, carry out whatever it is attack that they're going to do with you. If they've got a knife, they need to be within the knife distance, uh, basically bad breath distance. And if they've got a gun, they can work from a little further away. But either, irrespective of all that, they need to be within conversational distance of you to uh, follow through on whatever the attack is going to be. So if you see somebody that's loitering without a sense of purpose or uh, milling about, uh, you know that's somebody that needs to to be watched. Uh, some other things, uh, you know, if there's a sudden appearance of somebody that's acting uh, shady or out of character, you know that's another big red flag. If their hands are hidden, there's another red flag. They're not hiding a box of Girl Scout cookies there. They may have a weapon in their hands. Uh, you know, these are all things that uh, you need to pay attention to from a distance. you are just kind of glancing around, looking at people, and uh, watching them for uh, what they're doing. Uh, as they get closer, they want to get uh, closer to you within conversational distance. Uh, sometimes they'll come up to you and, and literally bump you to assess your submissiveness uh, at their, uh, their bumps. Sometimes they call that the target bump or the victim interview. Uh, Other things they will do will uh, um, use a ruse or a a question to get inside your personal space, such as what's the time or your shoes untied, things like that to distract you from them taking another step closer or maybe uh, taking a swing or producing a weapon. Uh, They may attempt to fix you in place. Uh, You know, stay right here or hold this for me or uh, otherwise try to block uh, an avenue that you might have of escape or uh, to get away from them uh, as they approach you in uh, public. Another thing to watch out for is if they discount your no or they discount your commands. If you tell them to stay back and they keep coming, hello, that's a clue, as they say in the FBI. Uh Same way with, uh, you know, I don't want this or I don't have the time, stay back and if they ignore your uh, uh, statements or your uh, commands, then, again, these are all indicators of bad things are are uh, coming around the corner for you. And the question is, are you going to take action to uh, thwart this attack before it becomes to the point where it's actually carried out? And uh, once they get real, real close uh just like that guy that walked up at the Walmart or I'm sorry the Walgreens in Florida he walked up to the guy and the guy that uh was upset with him you know he, right before he started hitting he bladed he loaded his fist he uh, turned himself he told his uh, child that was with him to to stand back you know these are all uh pre assault cues that uh, happened just uh right right within striking distance that uh, this guy should have had his hands up in a protective posture, uh, but he didn't. He had his hands down, and he got slugged once, and then the second time he went down like a bag of potatoes, and uh, that's all she wrote for the guy. So, you know, these things all happen, and most people discount these things one after another. They come rapid fire when, uh, when a bad guy has zeroed in on you and uh, has made their straight-line approach to you and most people dismiss these as, oh, this can't be happening to me. And, again, denial has no survival value whatsoever. And, uh, Ray, I think you were starting to say something about uh, there in North Carolina where you're from uh, about, uh, you know, watching things and paying attention.
2: Well, in North Carolina, most of the people that I've found in uh, gun training and such do have the military attitude of uh, attack, attack, and Everybody's carrying a weapon, and they want to tell them, you know, you've got the right to defend yourself and do it. And, and what you're saying today, John, is refreshing to me because you're telling them that the weapon is there, and the weapon is to be used in the right situation. But there's so many things you can do. We always told our students the best place to be when when trouble comes is somewhere else. And so you <laughs> yes. can avoid trouble. You can You can call law enforcement, get people there that can do something about it, But, um, you know, we also try to get them into martial art classes, um, even with guns. But in North Carolina right now, they're getting ready to pass a law statewide of where an 18-year-old from 18-year-old up can have a concealed weapon without any training at all. And uh, there's very little uh, registration with that, too. So I think it's – I don't know if that's – I know a second amendment, but I think it ought to be with people responsible, and uh, that could – probably go south if they're not careful with that. What do you say about that?
1: Well, I think uh I think training is a good thing, but again it's a constitutional right. Uh frankly, I think people ought to be trained uh in uh how to raise their kids, but uh, obviously we don't uh, have any training that's required before people uh uh procreate uh, in their daily lives. Uh it's one of those kind of things. I think uh there's a lot of states that have uh, constitutional carry today and they don't have a meaningful number of problems, uh, by the, the grace of God, uh, we go. And I'm really pleased about that. And uh, a lot of the, the dooms doomsayers and naysayers say, oh, my gosh, we're going to have all this trouble with, uh, trouble with untrained people. I don't see that happening in uh, what's like 12 states now with constitutional carry and more probably on the way. Uh, at the same time, uh, the prudent man goes out and seeks training to avoid trouble, to avoid using the deadly force and if it comes to that to use the deadly force safely and efficiently and effectively to save themselves or other innocent life. I mean there's a lot of upside to training but I see every day the reluctance of people to go seek training. Uh, again it's almost as if uh, in the case of men they think their man card provides all that they need to know and in the case of women very frequently it's uh, oh it'll never happen to me and frankly men are kind of that same way as well. and. Uh, Inevitably, every time there's a mass spree killing here in America, the interest in our uh, uh, training and coursework uh, seems to go through the roof. And uh, sadly, it seems to take uh, uh, some people being jarred out of their uh, their ignorance is bliss uh, uh, catatonic state to, to realize that, you know, there are bad people out there wanting to do bad things. And to get uh, them out to, to get training to make themselves safer, sadly, it takes uh uh, come to Jesus moment in some factor or another in so many people's lives but uh simply uh going out and seeking this training would be vastly uh, superior to becoming a victim and as far as 18-year-olds carrying a gun uh you know that's the uh, the age of majority old enough to go serve in the military and old enough to die for your country uh when you get back home there's no reason you shouldn't be able to carry uh, on your person uh when you're going to college or whatever Uh, You know, campus carries a whole nother ball of wax. But let's uh, let's talk uh, about the 85% of American population that uh, doesn't have a concealed carry license, uh, and the probably 90 or 95% of the Americans that don't carry on a daily basis. The the single best thing that these 90% or actually uh, every American can do is to increase their situational awareness, to be aware of these potential threats and identify them and get themselves out of dangerous situations so they don't need to turn to weapons or deadly force to protect themselves. Uh, and that's the best thing for, for everyone. And uh, we've got a personal protection for teens class that uh, we enjoy teaching to the young people to to show them the things that they can do without a gun, uh, teaching them about improvised weapons. Uh, there's a crowd component, a little bit of hand-to-hand on, on how to, to take care of themselves uh, at close close distances. Uh, we talk about how to deal with bullies and dating safety and home safety and all of this kind of stuff, uh, basically trying to educate these young people on how to be situationally aware of their surroundings and how to handle common everyday occurrences that happen to young people uh, in terms of growing up and uh, experiencing these things because you know, college campuses and indeed uh, even primary and secondary schools are uh, target-rich environments, and they need to know how to protect themselves and to stay safe in these locations. Uh, above and beyond, uh, just uh, hoping that it doesn't happen to them.
0: That goes back right. to, and I know as a teacher, I've gone through the active shooter training that the police put off in our local school system, and it frightened me because again, the situation, the situational awareness of what's happening, and they're not considering because we have to think about this. If we got a bad guy comes in, he's got a rifle or shotgun or a pistol. Either way, those bullets are going to go right through the walls. They're going to go right through the doors. The guy's going to go outside, and they're going to and come right through the windows. And, like, if you get into a situation where that, hopefully, a, a, a you know, the police can respond. But as we've learned, and, again, one of your instructors, one of your great instructors that I've learned and come to love, told me a long time ago, a police officer ain't nothing but a historian with a gun. And mm-hmm. as a consequence, yep. everything you're teaching, what you're putting together is the critical issue.
1: that's what we're trying to do, is to get people to open their eyes and pay attention to to what's going on uh, around them a little bit more than they do currently, and to recognize and to acknowledge that there are bad people out there looking to to commit violent crime. And uh, in today's world, you also got to watch out about the spree killers, and you got to watch out for the, uh, frankly, the Islamic terrorists. Um, You know, we're seeing more and more of that stuff, you know. uh, uh, let's look at the uh, Pulse nightclub down in Florida. You know, if those people had had a little better uh, sense, they would have been fleeing that location a, a lot more quickly. Uh, and sadly, uh, law enforcement waited three hours before they uh, came crashing in, and uh, a whole lot of people died, uh, bled out in there, uh, waiting three hours for the police to respond and to come in there. Um, but if Florida had allowed uh... concealed carry license holders in that establishment with their firearms uh... as a designated carrier uh... you know abstain from drinking alcoholic beverages but being able to carry your gun in bars as they allow in kentucky or indiana for instance without any problems uh... that whole problem could have been solved by somebody just uh... taking a shot at that uh... Um, muslim that was uh... trying to kill a whole bunch of gays as his personal little jihad uh... so You know, there's a lot of things people can do. It happens uh, everywhere on a daily basis. Uh, People become victimized when they thought they were safe where they at, and bad things happen, and you just have to be aware of that and pay attention to who's around you and what's going on and be aware of your surroundings and take action if you see something that's uh, uh, indicating that there might be a potential threat there.
0: Well, I think the distance comes into it again. And for me, I don't know what I was taught and what I've learned that magic distance is 25 feet. I mean, anything less than 25 feet and you're screwed. Because the amount well, of time that it takes for anybody to that. respond and cover that 25 feet to come match is far less than it's going to take you to respond effectively unless you're super trained. Is that 25, 30 well, feet? I mean, yes I'm trying know. to I mean, get some I idea of a perimeter of safety idea.
1: If you've identified somebody as a a certain threat, yeah, absolutely, keeping them at a distance. But we don't go through our lives keeping everybody around us at 25 feet. Um, However, I will say that personal space around you, that six to nine feet, that is kind of the inner sanctum. And anybody who's at all suspicious, I don't care where you're at, if it's an elevator or in a public location or at home, You don't let anybody in that six to nine feet personal space of yours, uh, uh, because that's your personal reactionary gap. Uh, Anybody inside that six to nine feet, if they want to hurt you, they can be on you faster than you can even react to the fact that they have initiated an attack. So anybody who's at all suspicious, yeah, you put uh, obstacles or distance between you and them. Uh, and keep them away. But I I think, you know, kind of shifting gears just a little bit on it, I'd be kind of remiss if I didn't touch base. Uh, With young people in particular, um, the bad guy jumping out of the bushes is uh, not the person that they probably most need to worry about. Uh, uh, In the case of teenage girls, sexual assaults happen on a a fairly regular basis. Uh, Sadly, about 40% of those attacks are, uh family members, uh, that, uh, sexually molest them and about another 40 or 50% are acquaintances, uh, boyfriends, former boyfriends, uh, friends, uh, from school or in their social circles. Uh, you know, it's only 10 or 20% of, uh, attackers for young females that are, they're stranger attackers. And, uh, also, uh, even, even adults, uh, uh, into adulthood, uh, you know, you're, uh, likelihood of uh, being attacked by somebody you're acquainted with is uh is uh unfortunately kind of significant uh the same way with family uh you know there was a case in chicago where uh, uh a couple of cousins came into a, a family home and basically they were there to rob uh, the occupants and they had a, a safe there because they stored a lot of cash for uh, a family business and uh they uh, started killing family members, and nobody would give them the combination. They ended up going through all seven of the family members, uh, killing everyone in that household uh, before they left. Um, and there's an example of family-on-family uh, family crime. It's not a stranger that came into their house to rob them. It was uh, their own family. So you got to pay attention uh, to people, uh, you know, who you have in your immediate uh, sphere, and uh, anybody who's acting suspiciously or inappropriately, you know, I don't care if they're uh, crazy Uncle Ernie or if they're uh, your neighbor Bob, if uh, those individuals are exhibiting signs or uh, indicators that they are up to no good or have criminal uh, criminal backgrounds or criminal tendencies, those people need to be placed in the same category as the guy acting suspiciously at the gas station when you pull up the pumps to uh, pump your gas.
0: And one of the guys that just was recently arrested here in Champaign County, I had him as a student, and when he was a student for me, he was a total nightmare, and he's turned into a complete nightmare. And they finally just got him arrested again here for the umpteenth time, but now he's locked up, and hopefully they won't get him out. One of the problems I think it goes into is what we're seeing all over again, and especially we see it every place, is recidivism. So these guys that have been doing this a while are the ones that are involved in again. And there's a lot of cultural and social, you know, reasons for all this stuff. But again, to me, it's evident that in certain areas, when they are a community, I think the same thing Ray, where you live, there are certain areas in certain communities you just don't go. And it doesn't no, matter if it's in a the small middle of the towns, evening or, or it's on Sunday after church. I know, well, my wife, you know I, I live where about 40,000 people, people
2: where I live, but we have at least 13 gangs operating in our counties and all. And uh, the county next to us is one of the uh, state's largest heroin um, using in, uh, you know, uh, population. We have, we have uh, overdoses and suicides constantly around where I live at. And so you do have to be, vigilant and I you know I've been there and and I've worked with law enforcement and martial arts so I am hyper vigilant I, I watch who I'm around but one of the things you were talking about is someone who comes close to you and all in the martial arts and that's the important about training in martial arts not martial arts not taking a couple of classes but actually training because I feel more comfortable when a man six inches from my face than I am six feet from my face because he may be getting ready to charge me and I'm gonna to have to, out, you know, move Stephen and, and different things around him. I'm gonna to have to strike him. But when he's close to me, I can do everything I want to do. But you have to have training in order to do that thing. In order exactly, to to that's do. it. All comes down to training. I'm I don't the think same you same can depend on yeah. one particular thing like a weapon or anything particular. You have to have a whole um, pouch full of tools with you as far as uh, what you're going to do in different ways of do it and everything like that. When I say tools. I mean, uh, you know, different things that you can operate in. So, yeah, would you but, but, recommend that they get multiple things of way of, of defense, maybe, and not depend on in, one particular thing?
1: In the perfect world, you're you're absolutely right, Ray. But uh, just getting these people out for the mandatory training is uh, is uh, almost right. an insurmountable hurdle, in my uh, observation here in Illinois, and for them to go on to seek additional training much less the uh long term commitment to uh to martial arts training of one form or another be it Krav Maga or one of these other uh more traditional martial arts is uh, is asking a lot of uh, the average uh person in today's world uh uh you know where everybody's busy with uh, their lives and everything and families and yeah, I'm I'm the same way with you. If I've identified a, a person as a threat, I want to be within three to six feet because if they produce a, a gun, I'll take it away and stovepipe them with it. And if they produce a knife, I'll take it away from them uh, there as well and uh, make their life uh, pretty miserable in the process. But the uh, the average person doesn't have those tools and skill sets available to them, and uh, the the avoidance uh, distance is kind of the uh, the default position for the people who are untrained in uh hand to hand close up uh, fighting and the best thing for them is if the bad guy doesn't get within that six to nine foot space uh if the bad guy does press their attack from twelve feet at least the uh the good guy has an opportunity to counter in some some manner or another, even if it's just flailing uh or trying to parry away the the attack you know, that's better than uh, somebody just blissfully allowing the bad guy to get within three to six feet of them and all of a sudden they get uh, cold-cocked with a uh, roundhouse punch that they didn't see coming. Uh, right. You know, that's what I'm looking to, to help with my students through. But right. you're absolutely right. For somebody who's got a little bit of training, uh, having a bad guy within arm's reach is the ideal location. Uh, ideally, is uh You'll be there within arm's reach of him, but he won't be quite within your reach or his reach. So you, you're unable to get hit by him, but you can still get control of him before he can react. But, you know, that's uh, well beyond the scope of, I think, of just, just the generalities of what we're talking about today.
2: Yeah. Uh, karate is totally defensive. And uh, really the person has to do something before you can react, and also that makes you lawful too. And so what we do is we teach them certain profiles and certain postures that are totally defensive, but they're non-threatening. The person doesn't realize that you're in a stance that totally defends yourself, elbows, knees, all these type of things. And so we, you have to learn those things uh, to help you be proficient in them. And that's where exactly. I recommend most people at least get your kids in some classes or take classes themselves because it would add to what you're already teaching, and you're already doing this anyway. But um, the more you train, the better off you become. I Mind agree. Set.
1: It sounds like you're talking about defense there uh, with your hands up, uh, ready to block or punch either way.
2: Yeah. Well, the you other know, there's thing certain postures the that are non-threatening. And uh, just bringing your hands up to the chest level and putting your fingers together it's something is when the when the punch comes or the roundhouse comes, you're able to, to defend yourself, and then you strike. You step in and exactly. strike, and that's how you attack the uh, attacker. And
0: you're you're also legal because he's the one that took the punch.
2: And um, the other so part it,
0: I think that we need to think about, and we've got a, only a few minutes left here, is the mindset. I mean, those who went to Vietnam and came back and went on in the military or whatever, we had the mindset knowing we were ready, willing, and able, based on our training and our skills and our reactions, to do what was necessary. And then today we all have to deal with the aftermath, and that is still having a horrible effect and it always will. But you have to make that decision what you're going to do if you're going to get involved in this. And I think, John, when I've been through the training with your course, you talk about the mindset are you ready willing and able could you elaborate a little on that sir
1: the mindset is the most important uh, in, in Krav. in fact they teach uh, mindset uh tec- techniques and tactics and uh, the mindset or is the most important aspect the uh, i will never give up i'm going to survive this um i'm going to win Uh, just to never give up uh, attitude and mindset goes a long way towards uh, overcoming an attack. And you've got to have that mindset when you step out of the door every morning that you're going to come back to your family and loved ones uh, that night, and they're not going to bury you. And that mindset is just critically important if you're on your back and somebody's trying to choke you out, just as it is if uh, somebody's trying to – Uh, profile you to uh, see if they want to uh, rob you or otherwise victimize you. You're absolutely right. Um, The technique uh, always degrades under stress. Uh, Tactics, uh, of course, uh, are pretty much universal. If you've got good tactics, those work no matter what. Um, But the mindset is the most important uh, aspect by far, uh, and uh, you've got to have a good mindset that, uh, look, I'm going to survive this today. Just like the woman who went into the restroom, I think it was in Seattle, while she was jogging, and there was a man uh, hiding in one of the stalls, and he came out to sexually assault her, and he started beating on her, and she thought she was going to lose consciousness. And she said, uh, looking back, uh, she said, you know, I just took this uh, seminar on uh, self-defense, and the guy talked about, you know, never give up. And she says, uh, uh, not today, mf'er. And she started fighting back and beat the holy hell out of this guy and uh, then locked him in the restroom uh, and called police. And uh, she survived because of her mindset. Uh, if she hadn't had that mindset, she probably would have uh, succumbed to his attack and been killed that day. So... Uh, mindset goes a long way. It's just saving the day when the attack comes.
0: How do they contact your organization, sir? Tell us, you know, where they can go, how they can get information about the training you provide, and etc. Uh,
1: go to gsldefensetraining.com, uh, uh, or just Google it, gsldefensetraining.com. Uh, you can also get more information about Gun Save Life at gunsavelife.com. And also, I write for the Truth About Guns, so you'll see my articles there at thetruthaboutguns.com. Uh, a fabulous website. It's the largest uh, firearms blog in the nation, uh, with a circulation or a, a readership approximating guns and ammo every two days. So, you know, every day, uh, hundreds of thousands of people are uh, checking out uh, the posts there, reading what's on there. And uh, but yeah, absolutely, get involved, get some training. Uh, even if it's just uh, rudimentary training, you got to start somewhere and uh, keep yourself safe and get home to your family safe at night and keep them safe as well.
0: You've got a, a newspaper that comes out once a month called Gun News.
1: It does. Uh, members of Gun Save Life get it uh, in their mailboxes. Uh, there are also thousands of copies distributed throughout Illinois, and uh, Western Indiana as well. So I uh, encourage everybody uh, check it out gunsavelife.com Guns save life L I S E dot com and check it out. And uh, we have a lot of fun. We meet in six cities across Illinois each month and have a good time with food fellowship and uh, firearms.
0: Yeah, and you got a lot. Your instructor team is pretty doggone qualified. A lot of retired police officers and everybody else. So. They're coming in with the knowledge, experience, the attitudes, and I've been there, done that, and willing at the same time. Not only that, but to a man, we're all volunteers. We're doing this for the love of teaching, the
1: love of sharing how to stay safe, the love of uh, being able to help your fellow man uh, avoid a deadly incident or to survive an incident if it comes to that. And we're not in this for the money. Uh, we wouldn't have 15, 20 instructors teaching a class if uh, we were there to make a buck. Uh, we're there to pay our expenses and uh, share our love and uh, enthusiasm for keeping people safe. And uh, we've got doctors, lawyers, engineers, uh, farmers, teachers, you name it. Uh, we've got a lot of good people there, and we're very proud of uh, uh, our people and the product that we deliver to uh, hundreds of people each year here in Illinois.
0: I know I went through a class once where I was the sole male in with the females and I still see many of those females in the class I went through and they go back and say that was the best two days I ever had. I mean what I learned, mm-hmm. what I saw and your instructors gave one-on-one attention. It wasn't like, well I'm going to stand up and tell you, I'm going to get right down there and show you and demonstrate and then guide you and that's what teaching's all about, isn't it John? That's exactly
1: right. Uh, You know, with a lot of instructors, you can give one-on-one instruction for those people who need it and, uh, you know, help uh, the experienced people as well as the beginners. And it's personalized. Everybody's friendly. We make everybody feel welcome. There's no such thing as a stupid question. You know, we've all been there before at one point or another in our lives. And uh, like I said, we're proud of the product. uh, uh, Word of mouth is uh, where we get a lot of our business from. And... uh, we uh, we like keeping people safe, and there's no greater reward than when a former student comes up to you and says, your training saved my life when somebody pulled a knife from me or when I had a home invader come into my house one night, um, and that makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Well,
0: what do you any last so comments from the, the real world of combat and surviving the worst of the worst? I just appreciate
2: everything John is doing. i tell you, I think he's doing a great service. His organization is, and and I'd love to be part of that sometime. I, it's a long ways from where I live, but I would love to be part of that. You're doing a great thing, John, and thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you, sir. We've got members in 39 states, so uh, if you want to join hey. up, we would love to have you, and you'll get our monthly newsletter and our journal, and um, you would be part of the family.
0: I will. I appreciate that. Sounds real good again, read your book, everybody, can go down and understand the ramifications of all this is uh the never ending war correct
2: that's that 's correct the never ending war, the unseen scars of post traumatic stress, and it takes you into the world of combat, um, the emotional parts of it of what it feels like getting ready to ambush people, live people, you know not like John talks about I, what I was thinking was we 're not using paintballs and and laser tag. this is real life stuff. And um, what it does to young men and and women today, I guess, but um, it has a a long-term effect. Um, Whenever you kill someone, it's a spiritual part of that. And I think I've put in my book, and I know it sounds weird, but I said with everyone we ruthlessly killed, a little bit of us died with it. And that talks about the moral injury that takes place uh, within someone who's dealing with trauma, and um, so I understand that side of it too. And, and um, I, I just, I know it's a spiritual ap- uh, thing there. And, and I teach classes on moral injury, John, at Camp Lejeune. And it's about how God can heal our hearts after a traumatic event. So the more we avoid them, that's even better. And uh, we don't have to deal with that. But um, thank you, Doug, for everything you've done too. You, you understand tr- combat completely and the effects of both sides of it, and um, I thank both of you.
0: Well, John, God bless you for all you're doing and working to put this all together. It's really, really critical.
2: Well, thank um, you, Doug, I guess and that, thank you, Ray.
0: I guess that's about it. Uh, Signing <laughs> music should come up any second. God bless everybody. Good night.